because if you bomb, if you fail, it's okay. You just go back home and you work again and you go back. If you, if it lands, if it kills, you're just the happiest man on the planet. I swear, I swear, Matthew, if I, if I do a new joke and it works, nothing, nothing can be like at the same level. You can even dating the most beautiful girl on the planet even, I mean, I can't, but uh, I don't have her. Uh, even, I don't know, winning, I don't, man, it's, ah, uh, it's better than anything. Do than, you still get scared before you yeah, go? Yeah, scared and, oh, so happy and so excited and so, I mean, trying a new joke and, 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 and it works. Oh, sex is nothing compared to that. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. The love for the show and the recent growth over the past few months has been amazing for us to see. It means you guys are sharing this with your loved ones, so thank you for that. It doesn't go unnoticed. If you're not yet subscribed, please go to iTunes through your Apple Podcasts app and subscribe so you get these episodes on your devices every Friday when we release them. You can do that on Spotify as well. Okay. My guest today is Gad Elmaleh. He is my recent co-worker from the brand new Netflix comedy series, Huge in France, which is available for streaming this very day that we are releasing this episode, April 12th, 2019. As I say this, I realize he's also my boss because he's a creator producer on the show. Huh. Well, I prefer to think of him as a collaborator. Anyway, he has become a friend, so it is with great reverence that I'm going to give you just a few of his impressive accolades. He was named a Knight of the Order of Arts and Letters by France's Minister of Culture, named Knight of the National Order of Quebec. He speaks four languages. You're going to hear a lot about his challenges with English, specifically being funny in English. He was voted funniest person in France in 2007, the same year his one-man show, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, broke records in Paris, selling out the iconic Olympia Theater. That year, he also met Jerry Seinfeld when he voiced the French version of Jerry's role, Barry B. Benson in B-Movie, ended up doing Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee in 2013 with Seinfeld, who, luckily for us, shows up playing himself in our series, Huge in France. Gad earned the moniker of the Seinfeld of France, to which Jerry said, he's not that funny. But what I love about Gad and what we really get into in our conversation is the courage he had in 2015 to pick up, cross the ocean, and move to New York to take a shot with a larger audience in a foreign language. In fact, he was featured in an episode of This American Life that focused on challenging transitions. Spoiler alert, 
It was a success. In 2016, he did The Colbert Show. He's done the rounds on all of the major talk shows. In 2017, he had a Netflix special called Gad Gone Wild. Netflix brought him back in 2018 with his American Dream special, which killed on Netflix. That's a good thing in comedy terms, which led to yet another venture with Netflix, Huge in France, our scripted show, which is very loosely based on Gad's transition to America. He created that with our brilliant showrunners, Andy Mogul and Jared Paul, and he recently wrapped his dream tour, which took him around the world. At the end of 2018, I was lucky enough to see it a few days after this conversation you're about to hear, which we recorded all the way back in early November. Now, you'll hear him say he's strictly a comedian, but in film, he's worked with such giants as Woody Allen, Steven Spielberg, Al Pacino, among others. His film with Audrey Tattoo, Priceless, in 2006, was a critical favorite. And I may be biased, but his work in Huge in France is beautifully subtle and understated, so don't let him fool you. He's an actor, too. What I want you to think about as you listen, and what struck me as I listened back is, like almost every guest I've sat down with, for all the accolades, there is such humility and respect for the craft. There is an obsession with improvement, a craftsman's approach to the work, and a real joy for the actual art of comedy. He's got a beginner's mind, and it inspires me. I hope it inspires you, too. Here he is, Gad Elmaleh. Well, first of all, thanks for sitting down with me. Thank um, you. What do you mean? It's <laughs> <laughs> You're an asshole. No. Uh, all right. So you are a, just for, for our audience, so what I'd like to do is you, you are technically a, a comedian and an actor, but in your own words, how would you describe what it is that you do? Wow. That's interesting because for so many years, I... Um... I tried and I tried to say to people in France, I'm an artist, I'm a, I'm, um, I do everything. I don't want to define, I don't want to be in a box. I don't want, and the more you get older and the more you get <laughs> experience and knowledge and um, expertise and and work and, and, and the more, I mean, for me, I want to be in a box. I want to be in a box, in a strong box. And I'm a comedian, I'm just a, um, I'm a writer, I'm a comedian, I'm, I'm, I'm a man who wants to make people laugh and write jokes, not only jokes, but tell stories. But it's an interesting how, I don't know if it's like this here in America, but in France, a lot of comics sometimes are like, I'm not only a comic. And they all have their crisis, which I had a few years ago where I did my serious movie, you know? You know when, do you remember when Adam Sandler did uh, the movie Funny uh, People? No, the other one. Um, uh, oh, the one about uh, 9 11? No. Uh, what oh, was oh, oh, Spanglish? No. No. Uh, we will cut that, right? We can cut it if you want. <laughs> let, let people know that we're not relying on IMDb. Because Adam Sandler is going to listen to that and say, this guy doesn't even know the name of the movie I did, the very serious movie. Well, I thought you were talking Paul about Paul Thomas people. Anderson movie. Oh, A Punch uh, Drunk Love. Merci beaucoup. Punch yeah. Drunk Love. Don't cut that. Don't cut that. Yeah, Don't cut that. We're we good. like the raw. I like, I like the words on this show. This is good. Yeah, it's real. We're yeah. looking. We forget. We get old. It's like when I talk about the crisis, I talk about comics sometimes. They're like, 
oh, I'm a comic, but I want to be taken seriously and I want people to see that I can be, you know, moving and this and that. And But once, I mean, you don't need that. You don't need to prove that, you know? I don't want to prove this anymore. I want to be funny. That's only that's the only thing I want to be and do. Well, this is ironic you're saying that, and I'm all, almost going to challenge you because the way you and I met was on <laughs> Huge in France yeah. where you are very funny, but... My takeaway from working with you, because I, I wasn't familiar with you before, as we've spoken about. and I was not familiar with you either. Come <laughs> no, no, on, no. Matt. I knew you didn't know who I was. I mean, I watched Soprano very quickly, very briefly <laughs> in France. No, but, no, but really, no, 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 I, I, I didn't know. You know, I I thought, okay, is, is going to be a stand-up comic? Is he going to be cracking jokes all the time? Is he not going to go? Is it not going to be real? And I found you to be, you know, it sounds like I'm saying this because I'm sitting in front of you, but I've told other people, really a beautifully subtle actor with, with heart. Like, that's why I love the show and I hope it it lands with people because it is funny, but you're the heart of it. And, and like, you're very funny in it, but you're also very real. So I find it funny that you're now saying, I just want to be a comic because you're actually a great actor. Thank you. But, um, yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear that, but I just think um, the comedy I like and the comedy I love um, in movies or even in shows are, are, I mean, you know this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in a lot of shows and it's just a real, the, the real thing, the real comedy, like real life, real, sen- um, uh, um, I, I like when it's, uh, it's sincere. I like when it's funny because it's maybe sad. I like when it's funny because it's real. I like when it's funny because it's an accident. I like, I don't like gags. I mean, I, I like gags with friends. I like gags when I watch cartoons with my sons, but when it comes to comedy, especially in movies, I like to be touched by something. That's why I love Italian movies. I love Nanni Moretti. That's why I love, um, you know, some French uh, films uh, from uh, the 70s. That's why I love uh, Charlie Chaplin. That's why I, Because there's always a problem that they try to solve, you know, and something serious about it. Yeah, yeah. It's storytelling that happens yeah. to point out some of our yeah. human frailties and but that's and what we experienced you and me on the show it was uh, it was funny because the reason why our characters uh, were really funny it was because uh, they each one had <laughs> really uh, big issues you know and uh, trying i mean if, for me as a foreigner as a Fish out of water, as you guys said. By the way, I don't like this expression. And it's not uh, true because fish out of water is just dead, you know? And yeah. it's like, it should be a fish, I don't know, in another water or something, <laughs> you know? Because fish out of water, yeah. it's impossible. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Oh, you mean it's the story fish out of water? No, fish no, that, out of water. That story's done before it starts. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a snapshot. Nemo, Nemo out, of the, out of water. No, it's just, uh, yeah, what I liked is like it's real, you know? I don't know how to say yeah. that. Yeah, it's, uh, it, well, well let's, let's actually go back a little bit to... Uh, your start, which I understand was pretty early. Your dad, is this true? Your dad 
as a mime? Yeah. And you used to, you, did you used to open the show yeah. for him or announce him? Or? It sounds like a joke. Even the phrase, my dad was a mime. <laughs> and if you, if you, if you add in Morocco, because I was born and raised in Morocco before moving to France, uh, if you say just my dad was a mime in Morocco, Sounds like, I don't know, a, a title for a, a novel, a very weird, maybe serious novel or a book. Or, But he was a mime. He did mime a lot and was inspired by him. I would uh, observe him all the time doing all this work on the... The body language was very important. That's why I really uh, picked this and really uh, took this and been inspired by that. And I used it a lot in my act, all my shows. Um... I think mime, just mime, is a little sad and uh, and and uh, there's something passé and stupid. By the way, a lot of comics they make fun of that. Like, uh, what are you a mime? What are you doing? What is this? Yeah. I remember uh, the the first uh, first time uh, I met uh, with Jerry Seinfeld. He would make fun of that. He would say, "So you guys in France do." Uh, the glass box and the fake rope and the yeah. imaginary whatever animal. I said, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mime. And the mime is kind of a, a popular uh, social uh, known joke. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, Yeah, no, it's been made fun. I, I'm trying, oh, the movie Singles. There was, a, there was a movie, I think it's a Cameron Crowe movie with Matt Dillon. And they, they, there's always, a, and Campbell Scott, and they're always cutting to a mime and, and they make fun of it. Where? It was in Seattle. It was, uh, it, it took place in Seattle. It was like in the nineties. And uh, yeah, it is always like, ah, oh, that's stupid mime. The whole, it, it was it's like a. Yeah, a there's something désuet, uh, we say in French, uh, obsolete, passé. When it comes to magicians, mimes and ventriloquists, <laughs> I don't know. But what did you take I from see a, I see a jacket with sparkles and uh, I don't yeah. know. But I loved it. I but loved you took it. The, the physical comedy? Oh, yeah, a lot, and- a lot. I was inspired and I took it and I used it. And I have to say it helped me a lot. And it helped me when I, come to, when I came to the U.S. to kind of stand out a little bit, you know, because uh, stand-up comedy, it's not about physical, you know. Very few comics uh, work uh, like that. There is one that I really love uh, is Sebastian Maniscalco. He's one of my favorite comics here in America. Uh, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld is number one, but I always say this guy, Maniscalco, is so, so animated and and the body language and the physical work is so great, you know? I don't, I don't know a lot of... Maybe back in the day, maybe old comics would do this, like... I don't know, uh, you know, Andrew Dice Clay and all these guys and, yeah. and, and Lenny Bruce. Would you say and, like, uh, would, would Richard Pryor be considered to- Oh, to be, he, he, he would do, but he was more not, stand up. Not, He's yeah, a genius. Yeah. I love him, but he was a genius. But uh, I would say uh, Maniscalco is uh, almost a mime sometimes, you know? Not only that he tells jokes, everything is really- uh, you see everything. You see his grandmother. You see the the shop where his you know, the the story. I mean, he's he's great. He's yeah. just uh, very very physical, and yeah. I and I and I love it. Well, it's, it's funny. I I wasn't planning on going to 
your Netflix special just yet, the one which is which is the same one, American Dream, is yeah. the one that I saw, which is the one I'm going to come see you yeah. live in L.A. Um, it's going to be sim- different it's, now. It's going to be different. Okay. Well, well I can't, yeah, because I need to do new material. I, I, uh, for the the audience, obviously, but for me too. Yeah, I want to have fun. That's funny because I did this challenge coming to America because I don't want to get bored with my routine in Europe. But now I'm here in America doing my show. I need to change my show because maybe the fear, maybe the thing I fear the most is to get bored. That's what I love. That that's I want to get. I want to be excited. Love- that's what you do. That's why you do that. Why would you do this? Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Yeah, why am I doing a podcast? I don't even yeah. I don't even think you're paid for that. No. Maybe just a little bit, no? No, no I'm doing I love it. I love it. You see? I just yeah, no, that's what I <laughs> I, I love. I, I heard you in an interview talking about um somebody asked you why you why would you come here? You have you know, you you sell out arenas there, you're you're known by everybody there, you're mobbed in the streets, you're making a lot of money. And you said, I hate to give an American phrase, but I want to be challenged. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that. And, and your work ethic is really what I respect about you. And I think why, why we hit it off when we work together. Oh, yeah. And then, and then just hearing you saying that you're changing up your material on the American dream, which has been so successful on Netflix makes me love you even more. It's like, you're not, you're not coasting on past victories. You're, you're, digging up and going, okay, what else could I do? How else can I, I turn this or challenge myself or challenge the audience in some way? Yeah. It's, uh, some people would call it, uh, you know, when they say workaholic and you can't stop working, it's not about that. It's just, I'm really passionate. I'm very, very excited. Um, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm not looking for something new to do, but it keeps, um, working in my head and like last night I was in Portland I made a joke and I was happy because it was new but I was not very happy because my English was not that good on this joke and the combination of the joke and the good English would be my dream so I'm going to work on it so in LA on Tuesday the joke is going to be good and it's always like this I always miss something I always want to build it and make it better and and you know, the language is such a, such a deep and such a, it's such a great tool, but if you don't uh, master, if you don't control, if you don't have the language, you cannot really be yourself. Like as a joke, I always tell to, if I go with a woman on a date, I always tell her if she's American, you have no idea how smart and funny I am in French. <laughs> because it's just a way of being a little... Because when it's not your first language, it's just... You're not very comfortable and maybe you could sound not very, I don't know, unique or inspired or... Yeah. You just don't have all the words. Well, you, that- know? you don't have all the tools. You don't have all the keys, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine... Uh, Trying to fix something very like, um, how you say? Uh, technical. Like a, or, technical, yeah. like a handyman. Like, and one has a little box with two uh, little tools and the other one has 30 of them. He has something to screw, drill, pull, things, boom. But he can yeah. do anything he wants because he has everything. And language is like this. When I first moved to the US, I, couldn't, I could not even, I could have not done this 
I don't like the word interview because I, with you, I feel we have a conversation. It's yeah. better. I could, I could have not, you know, had this conversation because you need to know English. Well, that's what I was, oh, go on. Sorry. No. And then I discovered something interesting. Some people speak English and some people speak in English. It has nothing to do. Explain that one to me. <laughs> it's like when you first move here to the U.S. and English is not your first language, you speak in that language. That means that you translate from your first language to English. And it's tiring. It's exhausting. Every single phrase, every single idea you have to translate, it goes through a process. You speak in English. And one day you speak the language. You speak English. And it's really interesting. Like, uh, I remember a few years a few years ago. Like, if someone would ask me, "Gad, did you do the? Did you go to the store? You were supposed to go to the store." I used to say, "Yes, uh, I I have uh, went or gone with mistakes to the store." Uh, already yet terrible, yeah. and also because French is so long. And but today I love when I'm like, yeah, done, <laughs> done. It's great. Yeah, been there. Oh, it's great. This is I speak in English because I'm using idioms, expressions. Uh, it's great. It's well, it, we had fun with that because oh. I, I didn't realize how many I use, but you were fascinated by some of the things that the little phrases. Yeah, but I maybe I, I if you, uh, yeah, if you allow me to tell this little story when we first met. Oh, yeah. When yeah. you were, um, you were reading for the role of Jason in Huge in France, and we did the first scene, and it was super, it was great. I, I was laughing, but I didn't want to show you that I was laughing because it's weird, you know, like you're trying for a role. And so I was laughing and I was like, oh, that's going to be great. Okay. And then you said something, you stopped and you said, because you had prepared another scene and you said, do you want to do a scene, uh, the scene number five? You Do you feel saucy? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I remember you go, and saucy, like, what is this? Saucy? And, you know, to me, saucy, there's so many things in that word, you know, sausages and sauce and sauce. And, and I turned to my director and I said, what is saucy? And you looked at me, saucy. And then, but it's so American and it was so natural. And then today I can use this kind of words and it feels really good. By the way, what's saucy? Can you explain? Yeah. That, when, does it come from when sauce? I I guess it comes from, so I guess, I guess if, if I had to, and I've never really thought of this, but if you had to say feeling saucy, it would be like, let's say you have some spaghetti that's just plain, but if you put sauce on it, you're putting a little extra zing on it, it has more flavor. So I, th I think I was saying, you know, we could do this one. I mean, if, if you're feeling saucy, we could do this. Like this was not required of the audition. Oh no, I think I said, I'm feeling saucy, let's do it. And, and it was, and I had that moment as an actor where I was like, I really loved the material. So I, so I wanted the job, but you have to do this little dance where you have to act cool. Like you don't really want the job, oh, man, but that's... I was like, you know what? I love this scene and I feel like we could score with it. And I just, I kind of just wanted to do it. So I was like, yeah, I'm but feeling you know, saucy. And, and we, I took a chance and luckily it didn't backfire because it could have been, the audition was good up until then. I could have done that, 
torpedoed it and you would have been like, nope, he's out. No, that's interesting what he's saying because I understand what you're saying about the dance or something that sounds fake, but also there's nothing stronger than... And I'm not even talking about auditions in our job or it's just in general. There's nothing stronger than the desire and not even showing that you like, but being in the moment organically, naturally loving what you're doing. That's what you did. Like when you see someone who's so into it and loving the thing, you don't need explanation you don't need the dance you don't need the, and we know we're sense we're artists we know and i like that you know yeah i like just to be touched by oh he got it he wants to do it he really wants to do it. yeah i almost, <laughs> i wanted to do it so badly yeah. that that i guess if, if you're really dissecting it i wanted to do it so badly that i didn't care That's if it funny. sunk my torpedo which is maybe if you're what what? Did I say sunk my torpedo? If it torpedoed my audition, I mean. Torpedo is like, if, if you know, you torpedo something <laughs> and it, like a ship sinks. So you could have this audition going, floating along. This really. guy is using military metaphors <laughs> to talk about in a role in a show. I love being, Torpedo. I love being around you because I don't realize that I do that. What, how I, did he say that? I think I said it sunk, wrong. I said sunk my torpedo. But sunk I think my torpedo. Torpedo my audition. But right? it sounds like... Like something like a bad word, like an insult. Well, I'm, say, well, I'm saying sunk my torpedo. No, well, sunk my torpedo is is mistakenly used. It actually should have been torpedoed my audition. Like <laughs> like if, if my desire to do this extra scene came and just completely obliterated any oh. good that I had, you know, created. So, do you remember soup to nuts? Soup to nuts. Yeah, that was great. Soup to nuts. There were a lot of them. I can't. We I I have them somewhere on my phone. We won't bore the audience, but. At one point, Gad and I were talking about doing a little bit, I think, on on social media where we had a, we had a whole thing lined up, and I had written down all these little idioms that you could ask me yeah. what they meant. Yeah. Anyway, we're man, we're see this is what I like. We're we're off topic. People either we're, dig this or they don't. There you go. Yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna get a standard interview here. We guys. don't want you're that. Gonna, you're gonna, you're Nobody, gonna, no one wants a standard interview. That's Otherwise, it would go somewhere else. Yeah, right? you're like, why why yeah. hear the same thing that you could hear someone no. say? You get the torpedo if, interview. You, you gotta you gotta put. I, I like to put the word torpedo into every interview I do. Yeah, um, torpedo sounds like a brand for a <laughs> swimsuit. Like you have the speedo and you have and the, the torpedo. torpedo. <laughs> the torpedo is the next level. When you torpedoes for when you're feeling saucy. <laughs> <laughs> when you swim so fast you wear a torpedo oh my god so oh so what i was going to say when we when we segued into from the miming over to um to american dream was that that use of physicality and and also you ended up talking about language and that's what i was so impressed with i did i purposefully did not watch a lot of your material or get to know all of who you were while we were working together because i didn't want to have some image of you that would have probably, you know, I would have tripped over it. Um, but when we were in Paris at the end of the season, I watched it with my wife oh. at, at the hotel in Paris. And it, it's hysterical. So anybody listening, I urge you to go to Netflix and watch Gad's um, one-man show, American Dream. And what I was so impressed with, and I told you this, you were like a, a scientist up there, the precision. So the guy said to me at customs, what's the purpose of your... Uh trip to the U.S. I'm here to live the American dream. He said, 
we don't do this anymore. And and I, I think I asked you, I said, well, you know, that must have been completely planned out because you don't have the language. And, and then you did tell tell everybody what you said about the difference between when you used to do your shows in French oh. and then how you had to like you couldn't interact with the crowd because it might have thrown you off. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because I come from the improv riffing, talking to the crowd in France. This is where I come from. This is my school, I would say. And then I come here to the US with a scripted show and I could not improvise. It was impossible. And it was very hard in the beginning because I felt less uh, free, you know? And it's kind of weird to do your art uh, do your job, but not completely as you want. And I'm not doing it completely, totally as free, uh, I mean, as much as I would like to. And I'm getting there little by little with the language. But it's interesting, you know, you perform in France, you have your marks, landmarks. Um, it's a comfort zone. And uh, of course, you're nervous, of course, but you know, they know you, and then cut to comedy clubs in New York, in Boston, in LA, and then they have no idea who you are, and then... But the great feeling is when I moved here and I would do those clubs, every time I would get a laugh, I would feel like I earned it. You earned it, yeah. And I always use this, this analogy and I always think that when people laugh at my jokes in English, I feel like a man and maybe a woman would fall in love with him without knowing he's famous somewhere else or he has money or whatever. And when Americans laugh at my joke, I'm like, oh, I'm a comedian. I'm a funny man. This is what I want to be. I'm not someone who is famous somewhere, blah, blah, blah. That's bullshit. And that's why I love not being announced when I show up somewhere. Not because, because sometimes you would have some French expats who I respect and love, they support me, but it changes the, 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 the reception, the reaction. That's funny, one day I was in New York in a club and then the host said my name and there was a whole table of Moroccans and French and they were super nice. But they went like, woo! And I was like, no, please. Yeah. I need to show to these Americans that I'm a funny man. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. No, and it makes sense I don't to know. me. No, it's, it's, it's really... It's very Shakespearean. You oh, know, really? Like, well, I mean, like cloaking yourself and like uh, going into the woods so you could see like what your true oh, worth is, yeah. you know, as opposed to wow, yeah. people, because you're the, the prince, they're, they're yeah. you know, and kissing your ring because yeah. you're the prince, but you're like, no, 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 I want to, it's, you know, I want to be Clark Kent and have oh. Lois Lane fall in love with me as Clark Kent, not wow. as Superman. It's, it's kind of, it's really cool. I mean, I actually think that's in a way that's kind of what, Huge in France ends up being about oh, you know, totally. you finding your voice here. Yeah, totally. The show is about that and how hard it is, especially these days, this time now in the U.S., you know? So I, you were a, a political science major in college. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, <laughs> tell me, right? Tell me about that. Where, where were you 
That was in Canada. That was in Montreal when oh. I moved from France to, no, from Morocco. That was in, oh my God, long time ago, 1988. I'm 17 years old in Casablanca, Morocco. Casablanca was not only a movie, it's a city, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, where, when I say where were you, I mean like where were you in your head when you made uh, that decision? Because you had done... No, there's a reason why. Because okay. when, you, when you hear uh, political science, you're like, oh, wow. And the, But there, there's a reason to that because I wanted to... I, not I wanted, but okay, I said I'm going to study, uh, 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 go to the law, law school, yeah. uh, be a lawyer. And they had a a big a, a concours, concours like you have to to an exam to get into okay. the yeah yeah. And I didn't succeed this one. And everyone who would you know fail to that uh, would go to sociology or political science for one year, and then they do retake the, the test. Retake the test. So I went to political science. It was not really I don't know. I was not into and and I was. You know what's surprising? It was I was good. I well, was, it doesn't shock me because it's about people and humanity. I was good. I was so. uh, I would understand things and talk to my teachers and but uh, I was more interested in uh, people, human history, you know, than pure political science. Uh, and I remember uh, in college they were preparing a show, a big show. And I uh, hosted the show and I did a whole uh, routine where I would do impressions of all my teachers. That was the first big show. Like uh, there was this Russian guy who would teach uh, Russian political system, French guy, Italian guy, American guy. And I did a little mini, mini show with all the characters. It was so much fun. And um, like I put on a show, you know, that was my first show. But very quickly I realized I wanted to be a comedian. I didn't want to be a politician or a student uh, or a lawyer. Yeah. And was that your, was that one of your little, um, like if you could call it like a, a superpower, obviously a ton of work goes into it, but impressions and attention to, attention to detail because your comedy yeah. is very... It's very nuanced. It's very, you know, I don't know how you feel about the the title that you sometimes get where people would say, I don't know if they still do like the Seinfeld of France. Yeah. I know you guys are friends now and everything, but it, it, his humor it, as well. It's like you get you guys there's a there's it's it's nuances. It's very detailed. I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with obsession. I'm obsessed with observation. I um this is my whole work is based on that. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell you something funny about that. Like um, when I do movies, sometimes I get bored and I'm more excited about observing the crew than uh, doing the scene. When it's my show that I wrote, created, and I tell my story, I'm, I'm very excited. When I do a movie, uh, I don't know. It's more exciting for me to talk with my friends and observe stuff and then playing a character. It's interesting. Yeah. I know you don't think the same way. No, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this. I always say, you know who my favorite person, a lot of times my favorite person on a set is the technical advisor. Like it's a detective or it's like a military specialist or because they have such and it's real life experience and I you want to talk movie. to them, right? Yeah, I did this movie, Wind River, and and uh, 
this great guy, Brandon, I'm not going to say his last name because I feel like he's, you know, special ops. I don't want to do anything. He, he would talk to me about his, um, his experiences in, in war because we had this big shootout. And so he was, you know, he was helping us with how to handle a gun, how to reload, but you just got incredible stories that's, from someone who, and I always gravitate toward those people. So I get it. I, I, you know, that's funny. You say that one day I was shooting a movie in Italy. Uh, we were shooting a scene in a, a cemetery, cemetery. <laughs> and there was an expert of uh funeral, uh, I don't know how you say that. Uh, uh, like a like a, a funeral director? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was here, you know, to explain like how we should do this and this. Because, And I spent the whole day talking to this guy. And the director was like, God, come where's your... I said, what do you mean? Get... This guy has seen crazy things in his life. He works in the funeral business. We, I want to talk to this guy. I want to yeah. understand. I want to... I have thousands of questions to ask him and and yeah i i understand i know i i relate i mean that's part you said why do you do this this podcast is you know i think i had told you at one point that people said oh you should you know you should interview actors and and writers and directors because that's your industry and you know that makes more sense and i get that from being niche as a business but i'm not just interested in I, I love actors i love talking to them but but i also want to talk to i don't like talking other to people. them i want to talk to i don't other love people. i don't love yeah, talking to I them do, i do there's a certain no, there's no. a certain something to that like, you know all of us are a little bit crazy a little bit neurotic in our own way but there's something i think great about someone who's just striving for it but but i prefer but I, to talk i, I, I prefer like talking to comedians comedians of course yeah yeah Makes sense, but also just someone who's doing like a funeral director or or a, a <laughs> no, no, I'm funeral kidding. director and comedian. And that, comedian. Uh, yeah, that's a, it. A funeral director who does who does stand-up stand up comedy, comedy as yeah. a side part time job. Yeah, there's a movie for us right there. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so um, what about what are some of your weaknesses if you have them or things that you you know. Aspects of the job that you're not crazy about. I mean, you kind of touched on it when you said having to do something that's not quite exactly what you want to do. Maybe that's a little bit of it. But is there anything yeah. like that you feel, well, I'm not particularly, this is not my skill set, but it, but it's a necessary part of the job. Wow. I think the moment when I am on stage is really the moment I prefer and the that's my best. That's 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 really the moment I love the most. Like, and I just think it might seem like uh, details, and but just because I have a family now, I think it's harder now than it used to be to go away and to go on the road, and especially on this tour, where I don't only go near Paris. I go to China. I go to. Europe, America, and West Coast, East Coast, and Dubai, and and I just it's just it's just simple. I just don't like anymore to be uh, away and far from my kids. That's that's my my problem. If I, but I would be selfish. But my dream uh, situation would be do stand up and have my kids uh, with me. Yeah, but it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would <laughs> and do it in English. So I should, if I want to make this dream happen, I should do stand up in English in Paris. And that's impossible. There you go. And go back with 
the two ex wives. <laughs> that's another show. <laughs> that's, a, that's season four. <laughs> that's, that's not a dream. That's a nightmare. Oh man. Well, no, but that's I, I ask it because I think you know a lot of people that listen are in some way interested in you know how do people kind of get to the point where they're able to kind of live their dream and you're literally doing you know you're doing a world tour called American Dream yeah dream tour or dream tour sorry so so I mean you're literally there so I I find it interesting for those people to hear that like yeah you still got problems you know it's not they, they don't go away they're just new you trade them in for for new challenges now it's like oh I wish my kids were with me yeah of course you know Jet lag also, but you know, that's just little, little problems. How is that? Like going to China? It's, do you feel like you're, uh, have you ever seen Lost in Translation? Yeah. Bill Murray? Do you feel yeah. like that? Like disconnected from, um, the, the, like, do you feel like you don't know if there's no gravity? Uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes one thing happened to me. I, I heard that from like uh, rock bands and I thought it was a lie, but here's what happened to me. I was on tour in Europe and it's a true story. Uh, I don't know why I say it's a true story. I don't understand why people say it's a true story before saying a story. <laughs> I don't know. So I wake up in the middle of the night and I swear, I literally have no idea where I am. But when I say no idea, I swear, not even a clue, not even nothing. And I open the curtain just to make, to know it's very early, early morning, how you call it, like five, you know, like that. And I look at the city. I'm like, what is this? What kind of city? I don't know. I have no idea. And I got into a kind of panic. Like, panic, yeah. what is that? I don't know where I... And then I watch, I, 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 I open like a drawer and, and I see like the room service menu, whatever, with the logo of the hotel. And then it says the name of the hotel and Oslo, Norway. And I was like, man, I'm in Norway. We just, we flew here. We landed during the night and I'm, I've been sleeping for two, three hours. And I woke up in, in the middle of the night and, and I'm in Oslo. I've never been here. <laughs> <laughs> and then why why am I doing this? I don't know. Why am I doing this, by the way? That's a great question. Why, why I mean, am what? I talking to you right now and recording everything we say so can so people can listen to this thing and they're gonna listen to us saying that we don't even know why we're doing it. And then they're gonna go, why are we listening to that? They should record themselves <laughs> listening to that and ask themselves why they're listening. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. I would say uh I mean, you know, why I do this is for exactly the reason of like, like all these people out there going like, how, how does this happen? How does this work? Where, how can I get here? As I think a lot of people, maybe it's a lot of people that listen to podcasts or or watch TV, maybe not everybody in the world. They're all wondering like, how, how do I get over there? And, and my, my, my aim with this is kind of, you know, let's sit down with this guy. He does this thing called stand up. Stand up. He yeah. does it because he wants to make people laugh, to make them feel more connected. And I'm going, you know, I'm just like sharing it with them and then also encouraging them if they have something that they think like, 
they want to do, they thought about doing, yeah. but they don't think they can. I get it. I you know? get it. Oh, but it is, it's bizarre when you start to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. What are we all doing? But what it's all, that? I think, I think it's all of this. So whether it's a TV show, stand up comedy, any of it, any storytelling, I, I think it's, it's that trying to make sense yeah. of something that a lot of times doesn't make sense or, uh, I mean, art too, you know, I, any I, I'm, art. That's I'm a any. big art lover. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I collect art. I buy art. I go to see exhibitions. I'm fascinated by art and it's the same process, you know, just telling stories and telling and transcript. I don't know how you say that, you know, um, I find the same, uh, it's really interesting. I was looking at some painting these days. And the more pure it is, the more simple it is, and the more strong it is. And I was like, it looks like comedy. Like, you need to narrow this and cut the fat and craft it and work so hard on it so it gets to something so simple that sounds almost easy to do. And with art, it's the same. You know, just little drawing, like very easy, very simple. Yeah. But because they've been through a whole process for, you know, so many uh, steps. That, that was the takeaway of watching you on the Netflix series, uh, show, sorry, the, the, was how easy you made it look, but because I knew the language thing, I knew all that, how hard I knew it must've been, but it's like oh, a magic trick. Really? Right. It's like a magic. Thank trick. you. But yeah, it's been, you know, I, 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 I worked so hard on the language too. I remember this English teacher would come to my place every day in New York City. And I even remember something really funny because sometimes she would come to my place, stay two hours and teach me, correct me, the accent and the uh, vocabulary, everything. And then one day I said, okay, thank you so much. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. And she said, no, tomorrow. I said, it's the, the session is over. Can I see you tomorrow? Over, over. It was endless. And one day I said I should write a bit about what if, what if, if I fall in love with her and we have a whole love story and one day we get very intimate and, and I say, uh, I love you. And she goes, love. <laughs> and then we have sex. And I'm like, it feels so good. Good, good, not good. <laughs> and like, it can become a bitch, you know? And uh, the language is is really hard. I think you never master it. You never, I don't know. You never, you're never good with the language. We know there's one syllable we need to hit, but we don't know which one. We're like, my English teacher always tells me, "God, you need to know where the stress is in the words." I'm like, the stress is everywhere. And what's really hard when I go back to Europe and I stay there and I come back, it takes me like a few days, you know, to get, <clears> oh yeah, you get, yeah. you get rusty, just like work out. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You're a very <clears throat> big workout guy, gym guy. Well, you, you met come me on. when I had to get into that phase. Oh, man, for, I saw for you show. when you were at the top of your game <laughs> was, workout. -wise. You got a, you got a slightly skewed view of me because of that yeah. role, but, um, what I admire about your whole move to New York, to the States, is, is that beginner's mind of just wanting to push yourself, put yourself in a position where you, you were forced to learn, <coughs> forced to learn again. And um, 
One of the things I wanted to get to, because uh, you, you talked about like that moment of being on the stage, that's that's what it's all about for you in a way. What what do you think, if you could put your finger on it, what is that for you? What What is it that makes that so powerful or so addictive? Wow. It's, uh, I don't know, but the thing that I can say is sometimes when I... Uh, when I don't want to do a movies in Europe or I'm like, oh, it's because I think I'm not going to get the same intensity and pleasure. And, you know, I used to say what I love about the stage is that I sweat. <laughs> not on, sometimes on the movie set, but not always. And maybe it's a caricature from, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it brings me so much joy and risk and, crazy I'm like a how you say funambule you know those crazy men I mean crazy genius who walk on a wire oh know? yeah I feel like I walk on a wire I mean it's not as dangerous as that but I feel like I walk on a wire I don't feel like that on a movie set yeah yeah there's just, no net for what you nah, do nah it's just yeah. you know I. it's so intense especially when you try new stuff like uh, tonight I might go to a club here in, in LA before the big show at the Wilshire Bell Theater and I'm going to go maybe to the comedy store or Laugh Factory or, and I'm going to try new jokes and there's nothing, there's nothing like that. There's nothing, uh, it's so strong, you know, because if you bomb, if you fail, it's okay. You just go back home and you work again and you go back. If you, if it lands, if it kills, you're just the happiest man on the planet. I swear. I swear, Matthew, if I if I do a new joke and it works, nothing, nothing can be like at the same level. You can even dating the most beautiful girl on the planet, even I mean I can't, but uh, I don't have her. Uh, even I don't know winning. I don't, man. It's. Oh, it's better than anything. Do then, you still get scared before you yeah, go? Yeah, scared and oh, so happy and so excited and so, I mean, trying a new joke and 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 it works. Oh, sex is nothing compared to that. Happiness is nothing. To, uh, workout? What? <laughs> Traveling? No. Trying a new joke and it works. Oh. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think it is? What do you think you it can, is? I mean, I, I, I identify because it's being just, on stage, it's a, I you don't know. know. You're also writing it. You're the author of it. It's, it's physical. It's just, yeah. oh, it's is great. It connection? I oh, guess. it's great. It's yeah. great. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So, so when you go, you know, I'm going to see you live here in LA. Um, I think it's a pretty big, yeah, big house. When you're, when they say, okay, you know, five minutes to curtain, you're about to go out there. Now you've done this thing all around the world. Are you still heart palpitating, um, wondering, or are you a little bit? What's the, what's the, what's that like? The only thing that has really changed over the years is that you're nervous, but not for the same reasons. Like a uh, long time ago, it was like, am I, am, am I going to be funny? And then you're funny. You, that's your job. You're funny. Am I going to be in shape? Am I going to be as in shape as they are? You know, like the, the crowd, they're pumped. They're so happy. I want to be to that level. And then now 
There's a very cute story about being nervous and before going on stage. And it's a story um, a lot of uh, theater actors know in France. There was this very uh, famous actor, uh, theater actor in France, and a young actor came up to him one day and said, you know, I would like to say, monsieur, that uh, I am also an actor. I say, well, it's great, you're an actor. And I'm never scared. Oh, that's great. But don't worry, it will come with talent. Yeah. And means, yeah, you know, when the when you have talent, maybe <laughs> you, you'll yeah. be scared. Well, when you have skin in the game, I think that's what I always, oh, there's another one of my idioms. But yeah. when you, when you, I think when you care and it means something yeah. to you and you, you know, I had an acting teacher who used to say, it needs to cost you something. Oh. Otherwise, otherwise the audience but does, also, doesn't care. Yeah. Also, it's, uh, what's really amazing is sometimes I'm like, I've done this so many times, the same show, same. But I learned something recently that uh, helped me not to be too nervous is don't think about what you're going to say first on stage because and, and change it. Change it. Don't say the same thing over and over and every night. And it's not a play. This is not Shakespeare. You're doing stand-up comedy. If you want to start with maybe another bit, maybe something that is in the middle of the show, maybe if you want to talk about the city for three seconds, maybe you want to say something, maybe you want to dance, dance. You want to do your thing. Do what's the most organic on the moment. Don't try to... You know, plan on, oh, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. And then I've seen comedians rehearse backstage the way they're going to say, hello. So what? No, you can't. Maybe hello is not going to be the word, first word you're going to, you know, say. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't rehearse. Uh, what about, what, what's Good the- evening, Atlanta. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, run us through the, like, the worst, the worst bombing. I mean, is there any time that you just bombed so hard that you just thought, like, I don't even think I should do this anymore? Uh, Or not, maybe not that, but that you just, just, like, pure embarrassment. And you ever have any of that or no? um, Maybe when you were younger? No, you know, uh, I I had, uh, (laughs) I had so many stories. But one day I was performing in Montreal in a festival. I was not known. Nobody knew me. And I was outdoor in the scene. And and the theater was packed. And I was like, that's strange. Why is the theater packed? I started my show. And after 10 minutes, they all left. Everyone left. <laughs> Only my parents stayed and maybe two friends, four people in the crowd. That was a very rude experience. And then I asked the producer, the thing is, there was a super big superstar right next to the venue in a stadium. And they were waiting because it was a big outdoor place with many stages. It was a festival. So they came and sat to my show just to wait until the other big star begins. But when they heard the music and the opener for the other guy. They said, okay, it's time to go. They stood up and they all left. It was terrible, terrible. Like 
you feel really like shit. You feel like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just someone who's here. They don't even think what I could feel, you know? It was not even discreet or just one by yeah. one. They don't care. So that was, uh, and also the Thank first time. Thank you for time, sharing that. That's, uh, that's a really. It was uh, hard. And yeah. also the first time I did stand up in English was hard because I thought I would just need to translate my strongest, strongest bits from French to English, which was a mistake. And, you know, you have play on words and things. And very quickly I realized that uh, I had to write uh, material about my experience and my perspective on America and Americans and. That's what I did, and it worked, you know. But trying to translate humor, it's just a total failure. We should, I mean, we can't. It's impossible. Yeah. Well, look, we're. I know we're. I got to get you to a theater tonight, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna let us wrap it up. I mean, I could. I really could talk to you. Forever. It's fun. I, it's I, it's I, fun I really, to talk to you. Really sitting down with you is so yeah. great. Working with you is so great. I feel it's um, the same conversation we had. Uh, like it's like. I like it. We started this conversation already when we were shooting the, the show, I think. It's like talking about everything. You yeah, know? life and art yeah. and, and the, the, the ups and downs and the yeah. kind of like swinging for the fences, striking out, you know. Get, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and yeah. It's soup a, to nuts. Soup to nuts. <laughs> that <laughs> should be, change, change the, the, the title name. of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> soup to nuts. <laughs> Um, so I got, I've got a pop quiz that I do for this at the end of all these, I'll give you the same thing. It's three different questions. Um, I, I really, I'll have to have you back at some point because we could go on. Um, but complete this sentence. The word no actually means what to you? <laughs> wow. <laughs> means the beginning of a very long process that I'm never going to give up. <laughs> That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, okay. Right now, I want you to think about a book title, a film title, a song title or a lyric or a quote, anything that just pops in your mind. It doesn't have to be, you know, anything great, just anything that pops in your mind. Wow. Um, you have to be your, I don't know the translate, the, oh, sorry, the, I, I can't translate it. Uh, how you say when you, there's a race, where, what's the point where you start? The starting line? The starting line. Starting okay. line. You have to be and to perceive yourself as the starting line but never as the goal. Uh, it's... Uh, Is it a phrase in, in, in French? In, in a book, in French. Tu dois être ton point de départ et jamais ton but. Like, you never, you never have to see yourself as your own goal. You're not your own goal. You're the starting line to go somewhere and to achieve something. And what it means is that everything you achieve is the consequences of what you believe in, what you build, what you want to do, and what happens, whether it is success or family or money, is the consequences. You never wake up in the morning and say, here is what I'm going to become, but here is what I am and where I, what I want to be, what I want, where I want to go with 
with me and the consequences maybe you succeed or you fail whatever but i and I, it helped me a lot this one helped me a lot and and there's another one maybe a lot of people know but i don't care if you've heard it because i think it's really important the only things we regret in life are those that we didn't do that's the only thing we regret we never regret something we did even if it was the worst thing i mean i'm not talking obviously about you know crazy <laughs> crimes yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh in in a reasonable thing uh, you will never regret and i think you will regret it if you if you don't do it you know i don't want to get super old and be like my grand children oh i should have done this and oh i almost did that or oh i almost went to america and did stand up in english that would have been great i'm sure i could i almost did this podcast with this guy matthew del negro i i i don't want to regret this i, I just do what you think you have to do and you will never regret it you will regret it if you don't do it that's yeah Something yeah. Well, you, you, in me. a way, you that, that's beautifully put. In a way, it answers what my third one was, which was, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene? Wow. And, and what would the advice be? Maybe that's it. Maybe you just answered that. Wow, that's a good... I just answered that. I, I, <laughs> this guy is so good at podcasts. He's he's mastered podcasts. He yeah. answers questions. I'm I'm giving a, I'm giving a TED talk about, about podcasts. About how, to, uh, how to be a guest on a podcast? Oh, Gad, thank you. You're you're you know, Matthew. Thank you so you're, much you're for a, a superstar for having me you're here. So, you're so genuine and honest and 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 open and and just thank you man. i really appreciate you sitting down with me this has been incredible as i knew it would thank be. you so much and i'm gonna listen to that i'm gonna tell my french fans to listen to it please give me all the links all the info so they can share it and learn english <laughs> <laughs> all right merci. Merci. merci 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 beaucoup with my terrible french no merci beaucoup yeah uh, all right guys for those of you that are new i like to give you three major takeaways from these conversations, though there are many more, but if I have to choose, here they are. Number one, if you bomb, if you fail, it's okay. You just go back home and you work again and you go back, according to Gad. It's so simple, guys, but so many of you are sitting around telling your friends and family you want to be something or do something new, and you're not willing to take the necessary risk. Emblazon this one in your forehead. You will not grow or learn or have a chance at being the best at something if you're not willing to fail. End of story. Number two, Gad said, everything you achieve is the consequence of what you believe in, what you build, what you want to do, and what happens, whether it is success or family or money, is the consequence. I love the way he says that, and so many guests here have shared the same sentiment, Speak your dreams into existence. It's not easy to do, but if you keep telling yourself and the world something, it helps keep you accountable to do the work, and eventually you have a shot of making it your new truth. Number three, poignant words from Gad, the only things we regret in life are those that we didn't do. 
Again, this has to do with risk, and it's so much more powerful coming from a guy who risked a lot to leave his mother country where he was dominating to start over again in uncharted territory. Very inspiring. All right, that's it for this interview, but if you're getting this the day it was released, April 12th, 2019, Gad and I expect nothing less than you binging Huge in France on Netflix tonight. Come on, people. I don't care if you have Friday night plans. But seriously, thanks to all of you for listening, and if you're wondering what you can do to help our cause, just share the show with your loved ones or on social media if you feel like it could help them in some way, encourage them to keep going. That's the goal. Someone hears words of encouragement from Gad or another guest or hears the story of Gad bombing and realizes if it can happen to a superstar and he can keep going, why shouldn't I keep going? Maybe they take a chance on themselves attempting something that sounds nuts to their family and friends. If, if this show helps one person, it's a success, so please share it. And if you're not subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, just sign up so you get these episodes on your device every week. If you dug Gad, you may like my past conversations with comedian, actor, podcaster Brian Callen, or my conversations with two singer-songwriters, Hall of Famer Chip Taylor or my cousin Artie Tobiah. A lot of similar themes on the subject of performance and risk and instinct. Check the links under the show notes to get those episodes in one click. Next week, we have another Huge in France cast member joining 10,000 Nose, Erin Hayes, who plays Gad's baby mama and my girlfriend slash sugar mama. She's really funny, and she's got an incredible story about the seeming gig of a lifetime that killed her off prematurely, which luckily for the rest of us made her available for Huge in France. A reminder, follow me on social media for announcements and promo videos of who's next. Those handles are at Maddie Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at info at 10,000nos.com. That's one followed by four zeros, N-O-S dot com if you want to be added to our mailing list. And that is it. Thanks again. Enjoy Huge in France, and we'll see you next Friday. 